Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion and public life and religion and social justice. I'm John Schock. We know how painful breakups can be. The emotions are mixed and intense and confused when you decide a relationship with a spouse or significant other is no longer healthy for you. But what happens if the other partner in the relationship is not a person, but God? How do you break up with God? Sarah Santillas broke up with the creator of the universe just when she was about to be ordained as a priest in the Episcopal Church. She had earned her Master's of Divinity degree from Harvard Divinity School in preparation for the priesthood and was working toward her doctorate in theology when she decided that she could no longer be in love with God. She wrote a book about it, Breaking Up With God, A Love Story. It is a love story. After she lets go of God, she's able to love herself. She's able to leave the cage of belief behind and move ahead. She concluded that it wasn't her lack of faith that was the problem. It was the object of faith she was supposed to embrace, a personal God. Recalling the day that she decided to end the ordination process, she wrote, I broke up with God that night. I broke up with the priesthood. I broke up with the river and the sky opening and the dove calling me beloved. I broke up with chosenness and salvation and belonging. And I imagined God held me when I cried. I can't do this anymore, I said. I'm not happy. I know, I heard him say, I know. Through her story, I heard echoes of my own. My guess is that many people, including clergy, if they admit it, will find their stories reflected in hers. I heard in her story the disconnect between a great Harvard education and the reality of a church that has no interest. It wasn't just the people as much as the language of the liturgy and the tradition itself that proved too small and too inadequate to converse with the faith that she was both deconstructing and reconstructing. In Breaking Up With God, a love story, Sarah Santillas writes, God is gone, but not completely. When I close my eyes, I still see a bearded white man. A decade of study can't wipe him out. I feel him there hovering. But that version of God has become ethically untenable for me. Too many terrible things done in his name. Too much suffering in the world. Too much violence. Too many disasters. I let go of a personal God. I let go of all of it. Sarah Santillas is my guest today. I found her story compelling and important for our culture, for faith communities, and for all of us, religious and non-religious alike. Whether we are part of a faith community, are rebelling against it, have left it, or are indifferent, we are all God-haunted. This book can open discussion and allow people to take on what may have been taboo, to open the door that has been locked and labeled blasphemy and see what really is behind it. Breaking Up With God, a love story, is funny, sad, beautiful, and most of all, honest. We could certainly use more honesty. Via Skype from Portland, Oregon, is Sarah Santillas on Religion for Life. Sarah, God was part of your life from childhood. Who or what was God then? 
I grew up Catholic. My um, father is Catholic, and my mother grew up Episcopalian, but she she converted to Catholicism when my parents got married. So we went to I went to CCD, which is the Catholic version of Sunday school, and to Mass every Sunday. And I was puzzled by God as a as a kid, and I really um, was struggling to figure out what it meant to have this this person in the sky who loved me, but also a person who was ready to punish me. Um, and I really developed a sense of theology where God protected people that God loved. And so your challenge was to figure out how to get loved by God in order to keep yourself and the people that you love safe. Okay. So was God um, a man? And did you pray? Did you talk to God back and forth? I I talk to God all the time. I don't think there was a back and forth. I did a lot of talking. You did the but talking. I didn't hear much. <laughs> yeah, I did the talking. Um, I tried to listen, and de- definitely God was a man in in my imagination, in the liturgy, in the songs that we sang, in the images that I saw in church. God was definitely uh, figured as a as a man, an old white man at that. And then you went to college, and you went to Yale University to study literature. And, you, and, and in your book, uh, Breaking Up With God, you dressed in black and you read the French deconstructionists like Jacques Derrida. And what you learned is there are things that uh, we think are real or constructed by our language, including God. Is that right? And more than That's that? That's right. Yeah, I dressed in black mostly because I didn't want to have to do laundry. And I had this, this um, <laughs> funny feeling that if I wore black all the time, people would think I had a lot of black clothes instead of just wearing the same black clothes all the time. Um, but yeah, I studied deconstruction and started recognizing that uh, meaning is is something that we make. It's not something that we find or something somebody else can tell us about, but something that's constructed. And in deconstruction and in, in that kind of literary theory, people kind of fell into two camps. Those who thought that that meant that that was the end of meaning, that if meaning is something that we make, then really there's nothing, kind of a nihilism. And then those who thought, well, if meaning something that we make, then we can make better meaning and we can figure out how to make the world a more just and life-giving place. And I think I fell into that second camp where recognizing that it was human beings who were making things, making literature, making art, making ethics, uh, gave me a sense of freedom and exhilaration, and I wanted to participate in that work. So when you were in college, you uh, mentioned in your book that you were publicly kind of embarrassed about God. Yeah, I used to be religious, but privately you'd still pray. God was still personal and active for you in your life. Is that right? Yeah, I it definitely. I mean, I, I still had, I had this intellectual awakening going on, but personally I still was holding on to that version of God who um, would protect me and protect the people I loved. It was kind of God as safety net, and I clung to that. It was a fear-based kind of clinging. I prayed out of habit. It was kind of automatic, as automatic as breathing. Um, But most of my prayers were about keeping people safe, about making sure people weren't sick. Um, So that was the God in my imagination still at that time. This is Religion for Life, and my guest is Sarah Centillus, and she is the author of the book Breaking Up with God, A Love Story. And after college, Sarah, you moved to Los Angeles uh, to participate in the Teach for America program, a teaching program working with uh, poor students, and and you found a a church there in Pasadena that kind of helped you in in terms of of what you were doing in your work, Uh, well, All Saints Episcopal Church, is that right, a progressive church, and and, and there you decided to become a priest. Tell me about that t- part of your life. 
Um, sure. I, after I graduated from Yale, I did Teach for America, which is a program that I'm actually highly critical of um, for exactly the reasons of, of what my experience was like there. So I was 21 years old. I had no teaching experience. I had no kind of critical awareness about race or my own privilege or poverty. And I was sent to a, work in a school, an elementary school in Compton, California, which is in um, South Central LA. And the students I had were magnificent, um, really smart, really excited about learning. But my classroom had no books. The ceiling was falling down. There were mice and maggots crawling through the floor. We didn't have a playground. Um, so it was this awakening for me to my own privilege and to the um, unequal school system in the United States. So in that context, my mom came to visit me, and she brought me to All Saints um, Pasadena to the Episcopal Church there, and I just fell madly in love. I fell madly in love with the church, with the version of God that was being talked about, with the social justice work that that place was doing, and inside me began to be this sense that I wanted to be a priest. I thought that churches could be places to fight injustice and oppression, and I wanted to um, participate in that. Speaking on Skype with Sarah Santillas, author of the book, Breaking Up With God, A Love Story. And you decided to go to seminary at Harvard Divinity School, and you decided that uh, the red flag came up that uh, even though you were studying to be a priest, you really didn't want to go to church. Why was that? Um, well, it's funny because I think I was asked a very prescient question before I went to divinity school by one of the priests at All Saints who asked, did I want to get ordained um, as an Episcopal priest in the church at large or was I really, was it something about All Saints that made me want to get ordained? And at the time I said I wanted to be an Episcopal priest. I didn't just, it wasn't just All Saints, but once I arrived in Boston, I realized I really loved that particular church. I um, had a lot of trouble finding a church that felt like home, um, a church that used inclusive language or the, churches that had women who were priests or churches that were committed to fighting against homophobia or any other kinds of oppression. Um, there were a lot of great churches, but they just didn't feel like home to me. And so I avoided it. I never went to church. I went to the library instead, or I went to yoga instead and um, just pursued my love of theology. So I was falling in love with theology, with the study of the things that human beings have written about God, and um, my attention was drawn there instead. So did you begin at that time to sense a gap between um, your personal understanding of God and what you were learning about God, your intellectual understanding of God, and, and was this... And this gap started to develop. Is that what happened? And then you kind of stopped uh, praying to God. Was that the point you stopped doing that? Or um, I don't think it's funny. I, I intellectually, I don't think I don't pray, but personally, I still do pray. It's like an uh -huh. instinct. I mean, even now, where I don't call myself a Christian and I call myself an agnostic, prayer is something that comes to me. I I say prayers of gratitude mostly. Um, so my prayers mostly are thank you and please, 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 please. I mean, I think it's it's part, it's in my brain and in my language system. So I'm not sure it's something I can let go of, even if intellectually I don't believe in a God who can intervene in human affairs. Um, but at this time, I there was, I think I read about it in the book, that there was a chasm that was opening up between this intellectual understanding of God that I was getting at school, which was fabulous and expansive and beautiful and brilliant. And I was learning about all these possible ways to think about God. I was reading um, theologians, like, uh, you know, historically 
all different kinds of theologians. I was reading Karl Barth and Tillich and ancient theologians, and I was reading feminist theologians and black theologians and womanist theologians and liberation theologians, and I just thought, wow, there's more to God than I ever learned in church, and this is incredible, and I, I just felt on fire with that, with the love for that kind of knowledge. And then at the same time, I was recognizing that there was this difference between the kind of God that I was allowed to imagine in classrooms and the kind of God that I was being asked to believe in as a Christian in most churches in the United States. And I, I kept trying to stand across that chasm and to use my body as a kind of bridge, but it just widened as time went on. And you found, and I'm speaking with uh, Sarah Santillas, if you're just joining us, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck, and my guest is the author of a book called Breaking Up with God, A Love Story. And at Harvard, you wrote that you took every class you could from Gordon Kaufman. And he died just this past year, just about the time, I think, that your book was released. Um, And in the acknowledgments, you wrote to him, thanks to Gordon Kaufman, please know that this is a love letter to you, a thank you note. Do you know if he read your book or knew about it or yeah i i um gordon kaufman has had the largest impact on my thinking and um i love him i miss him terribly he died in july my book came out in june uh and i i just went to his memorial service which was on halloween in harvard um in the memorial church there and i do know that he read my book i sent it to him to make sure that he would have a copy. And I talked to him on the telephone after I sent him a copy. And we talked about what I'd written and his thoughts about it. And he understood um, that he was, he had Alzheimer's, he was losing his mind at that time, but he understood that the book was dedicated to him. And he understood that he had changed my life. And at the memorial service, when I went through the receiving line, his his four kids were there, who aren't kids, they're adults um, now. And they said that my book is still on his dresser. So I know I know mm-hmm. that he knew that he mattered to me, um, which which gives me a sense of peace about about not having him around anymore. Because he was very important for you in helping you um, have permission, perhaps. Is I don't know if that's the right word, or 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 have that sense of liberation that that. You use the image of the birdcage and the door that was open, and uh, he <laughs> helped to f- fly out of it. Yeah, I spent a lot of my time at Divinity School, both in the master's program and in in the doctoral program when I got a doctorate in theology, talking with um, Gordon in his office. He had a a rocking chair and he had an office in the basement of one of the buildings, and we talked a lot. And one of the things he would say is that people are in cages of their own making and that part of his job was was to show them the door was open and they were free to go. And I thought that he was talking about other Christians. I thought he was talking about Christians at at the church where I ended up getting a job, where I entered the ordination process, or he was talking about other other, um, religious people at school. But I realized later that he was really talking about me, that I had entered a cage of my own making, um, that I, I was trying to fit myself into a theological system that no longer worked for me. And one of the gifts that he gave me is an understanding of theology as a constructive, imaginative, artistic practice, and an understanding of the theologian as committed to social justice. I mean, he kind of said, if if you aren't writing theology that matters, if you aren't writing theology that makes the world a better place for humans for the earth and for animals, then you, you really aren't doing theology at all. Um, and the, the other gift he gave me was an understanding of questioning and doubt 
as a faithful practice. I think that there are a lot of Christian communities where doubt is not allowed and questions aren't allowed. And he really helped me see that questioning is a faithful practice when you understand that God is mystery. God is bigger than anything we can think or say about God. What happened? Uh, you started work for a congregation in between your master's program and your doctoral program. And where, as All Saints Pasadena inspired you to enter into the ministry, it seems this church that you were working with kind of inspired you to leave it. Um, tell us about the day you broke up with God. What happened? Uh, well, it had been a, it had been a, I guess if you are, if you're using the analogy of a breakup, it had been building for a long time. And I was having the sense that this wasn't the right relationship for me, but I, I kept pushing it. I kept trying to make myself fit in a situation that was not built for me. I mean, they, the church, I think a lot of the people in the church were uncomfortable with my politics and with the fact that I was a woman and with my theology. And I was definitely uncomfortable with the kind of God that was being talked about there. And there really wasn't much room for me. So they'd formed a discernment committee and it was a group of people that was tasked with the, um, job to figure out if I was, if God was calling me to be a priest. And it was a group of really kind, generous people. And they were comfortable with most parts of me. And I just kept trying to push them and piss them off a little bit. I had bumper stickers that were provocative on my car and I was giving them the most radical forms of my theology that I could. And they, they really went, were fine with it. They were comfortable with it. But slowly they started suggesting that maybe I wasn't called to be a priest, that maybe if, if I was struggling so much with institutional religion, that maybe this wasn't the, the place for me. And I, had trouble hearing them and hearing that suggestion. And we ended up having a blowout when they, um, or a blow up when they um, realized that I had moved in with my boyfriend at the time. And, and they just thought that that was not appropriate thing for a, for a minister to do or a future minister. So at that point I ended up dropping out of the, the ordination process and I drove home. Um, I knew after I left that meeting that it was over between me and the church. And I started thinking that it might be over with between me and God, um, at least the version of God that I'd grown up believing in. You know, your book resonated with me as a minister who struggles with God and has left the personal God as well, even as I still use the concept liturgically. In fact, I often say the historical Jesus is my Ishtadeva, my chosen deity, even though I know it's all metaphor and projection. But I talk about these things with my church. But my, there's a sadness, I guess, when I read your story, and this is for selfish reasons alone, was that we lost a smart, compassionate, honest priest. Um, so in the back of my head, I keep wondering, um, if you had had a better church experience, would you have stayed as a priest, or was this kind of a package deal? <laughs> That's such a generous question. Thank you um, for saying that. I, I do think it had to do with the church. I'm, I mean, uh, I think that when I broke up with the, I broke up with the church first, and I thought that that meant that I could stay in relationship with God. But then when I've tried to find my way back into various religious communities, I realized that the the metaphors that they're using don't work for me anymore. Um, I think if I had had a more positive experience in a church, and a lot of my friends who are ministers have had a lot of way more positive experiences in churches, I think I might still be part of a church. And I think it's so brave that you're willing to share 
your own struggles with your congregation. I think if I'd been part of a church that had a minister that was willing to share his or her struggles, then I would have felt like there was more room for me. I think one of the things that a lot of churches do is to frame doubt as something that's supposed to be overcome. But if God is bigger than what we can understand God to be, then actually doubting and questioning is part of what it means to have faith. And if I'd been in a community where that was allowed, I think I probably would have stayed. Yeah. Do you think Christianity is going to survive without a personal God? I don't know. I I mean, I think I thought that you I thought that I could be a Christian without a personal God. But really, if you let go of that, the whole thing starts to unravel. Uh Although I would say that a lot of the people I know and love who consider themselves Christian don't believe in a personal God. Um, but if you don't believe in a personal God, then you lose everything. You lose prayer. You lose worship in some sense. You lose, um, I, don't, I don't know, it changes your understanding of who Jesus is. So I think a lot of Christianity hinges on a personal God, and I'm not sure what's left if you let go of that. Yeah, I, I wrestle with that question pretty much every day and and, <laughs> and, how, and how that works and, and finding different ways to talk about it. I, I do think the idea of... Uh, at least being honest and open and not knowing where we're where we may end up having to go is is okay. Uh, in in fact, the idea when you use the image of breaking up with God as though God is 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 like a lover that you need to leave so that you can grow. Um, and I know um, in talking with people about about that kind of thing that people feel well, it's a kind of a tragic deal, uh, you know, losing your faith, awful experience. But really, it, it isn't like that so much, is it? It's more of a, a liberation. Um, I want to share with something in your book uh, with listeners here. I'm speaking with Sarah Santillis, Breaking Up with God, A Love Story. And you wrote, I'm not post-God. I'm just through thinking about God as a being. And this is what I believe in. Mystery, agency, creativity, justice, accountability, love. This is my faith, a fragile hope in what humanity might be able to do when we stop looking for someone else to save us. And I really love that. It was a sense of not no, so much losing your faith, but changing the location of it. Is that right? Rather yeah, than externally, exactly it became right. here. Um, that's exactly right. And I, you've picked my most favorite passage in the book. So thank you for reading that. Oh, wow. I think um, I took, I've taken the faith that I used to have in God and I've invested it in human beings. I want to know. I, I think I believe that we have everything that we need to make the world a better place. And if you think that when you're trying to make the world a better place, you're doing the work of God, then that's I think that's a faithful place place to be. And I'm hopeful that we can we can do better. And uh, I think one of the things that happens in, in some versions of Christianity is this hope that some savior is going to come back and, and um, fix everything. But I think we're we're the savior that we've been waiting for. We're the ones who need to do the work. And for me, that's that's a hopeful place to be, although sometimes it feels a little bit lonely. It's kind of bringing the sacred and the holy to, to earth. That, that everything we are is sacred. Everything we are, if we want to use the word God, is, is right here. Yes. But tell me about being lonely. Do you, do you still feel lonely? Do you think God, do. you and God are going to make up someday? Or <laughs> I, I've gotten emails from people telling me that they think I'm going to get back together with God, that I'm just on this journey, um, which sometimes I really appreciate and sometimes I find a little bit offensive. But uh-huh. I... I um, I broke up with a particular understanding of God. I didn't break up with God altogether. I, I let go of an old way of thinking, and I'm open to new possibilities. I think I'm looking for different understandings, different way to live in an ethical way. Um, and 
you know, the word God is out in the world operating. One of the things Gordon used to say to me, Gordon Kaufman, is that asking whether or not God exists is the wrong question because you've already spoken the word God. God is out there doing all kinds of work. And I'm, I'm a scholar of religion. I'm a trained theologian. And I think part of my work is to look at the way God is functioning for good and, and for bad and to try to come up with more creative ways to think about God that might do some good for a lot of people. Um, so I consider myself um, a cultural critic and a theologian still. It's just a little bit tricky because I don't, uh, I can't find a home in any in any institutional space at this point, but I'm not going to say that I never will be able to. Yeah, that's, um, I was wondering, you say you have two advanced degrees in theology and no church and and, uh, and, and the idea of broken up with a personal God, so um, where is life taking you now? Um, I'm doing a lot of writing. I mean, I'm, I'm finding meaning in writing. I'm working on a novel right now. I'm involved in a project um, that's examining the intersections of torture and Christianity. Um, I'm working on an edited volume about that. Um, I... I say in the book that I don't go to church, but I do go to the farmer's market. Um, it's a place where I found found a home. I meditate every day. Um, I'm trying to be active in, in my community, and I just moved to Portland, Oregon, and I'm trying to find a home here, you know, a place that I can feel challenged and held. And so I'm really I'm really trying to figure out still what comes next next for me, and maybe there's another book project there about um, where where I find faith now. I like the idea of when you talked about what God does rather than believing in God, which is such a, a lame question. You're right. But what, what, if we want to talk about God, what is God doing? What is God doing in our lives? Uh, you know, farmer's market is no small thing. Uh, food is a pretty much a basic for our planet and, um, and, the, and the survival and care for Earth. I think you're on to something there. And if we could put our, perhaps our energies of, of religion towards making Earth a more just and sustainable place, that might be a good way to do theology that's yeah, what I, I'm, I'm hopeful about that I mean there are a lot of theologians that are doing that kind of work there's a woman named Sally McFaig who thinks about what if we thought about God as as the universe you know the the earth as the body of God how would that change how we live and move on this planet and um, one of the things that's interesting to me is not what people believe but what effects their beliefs have and I think you can believe anything you'd like to believe. I'm, I'm not interested in critiquing that. What I'm interested in looking at is how does that make you live? How does it make you move through the world? How does it make you treat other people and animals and, and the earth? How does it make you think about war? Um, those kinds of questions. Does it make you a peacemaker or does it make you other other people? Um, and those that to me is where, where my energy goes. And that is the time we have. I've been speaking with Sarah Centillis, uh, author of Breaking Up With God, A Love Story, a book I highly recommend. I want to thank you for your honesty and for sharing that and for sharing with, with us, in a sense, a taboo topic uh, in some way, uh, one's own faith and, and, and talking about God in very honest ways. So thank you for your book and thank you for all your good work. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate talking with you. 
You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion and public life and religion and social justice. I'm John Shuck, minister at First Presbyterian Church in Elizabethton, Tennessee. You can find podcasts of this program on the church's website, www.fpcelizabethton.org. You can also find out more information about this program and other related issues on my blog, shuckandjive.org. You can find contact information for me on the blog and website. Religion for Life is a co-production of WET. Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC Emory, Virginia. Be well.